Okay, now for his two-hour sermon, we have Mr. Barnabas Grayson with the Feast of First Fruits. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome. I don't know how he knew this uh, sermon was going to last two hours, but I know one thing, you'll probably wake up refreshed. The day of first fruits. There used to be a question that would be asked at the times of the holy days. Some of us who have been in worldwide would hear this uh, question often asked. Well, well, do you remember what that question is? <laughs> there you go. Why are we here? Good. So we'll begin that with the uh, sermon today. Why are we here? And what does this day mean? We know today is the first day of the week, and here we are on a Sunday, and it's uh, usually a work day, but here we are to keep the holy day of God. Now, some know, as uh, David uh, went through, that this is a feast of weeks, or the feast of harvest, or the day of first fruits, and s some, uh, some see it as, in the new t as the New Testament beginning of the church when it was born. And also when God gave the Holy Spirit to man. In the book of James, chapter 1, verse 17, it says that every good and perfect gift is from above. That is, it comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Verse 18, of his own will, of his own will, he begat, he begat he us. So by his will, we are here. He begat us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. So all of the redeemed are God's firstfruits. The first, we're the first step in God's a redemption plan, his salvation plan for all of mankind. So today we know it as day 50, you know, called Pentecost, which the Greek word for count 50, the 50th day from the time of the cutting of the wave sheet, uh, that of the barley during the Feast of Unleavened Bread, to the completion of the wheat harvest in the early summer. So we arrived at this day, as David mentioned earlier in this message, by counting as directed in the book of Leviticus, where it says in Leviticus 23, beginning verse 15, that you shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be complete. So there's a lot of detail that it goes into this count to Pentecost and to what it means to us. But there is a connection from the days of unleavened bread, those 50 days, if you count backward, were connected to the, are connected to the Pentecost. Even unto the morrow, verse 16, after the seventh Sabbath shall you number 50 days, and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. So... Each day is like a rehearsal in the salvation plan of the eternal 
The stage is being set for the next one to come. Things uh, get into place as we go along. And we know that the Lord God said that these are my feasts. These are my feasts. So here we are keeping Pentecost according to the word of the Lord. Now, in regard to the keeping of a holy day, we're sometimes reminded of two verses in the book of Colossians. In chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, it says, To let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come. But the body is of Christ. So man has no authority to judge or condemn those keeping God's holy commands because these were the right things to do in the eyes of our Lord and our Savior. And we also know that it is Christ who judges, who saves, who saves us in, in those matters. Be ye holy, for I am holy, said the Lord. And he set apart this day as holy and also for a holy assembly. And we're set apart unto it to give praise and worship and give thanks unto the eternal, our Lord and Savior. So we show a commitment at this time to do as the Lord commanded us, as he tells us. And in return, we have his promises made unto unto us. Now to some the day means you know the birth of uh, the church uh, and also the giving of the Holy Spirit and also the giving of the law. But we show a commitment to God when we keep the holy days or any of God's commandments remembering his covenant made back a long time ago. In Deuteronomy 26 17 through 18 it says you have avouched the Lord this day to be your God. So as we sit here and think about this, it is saying you have avouched the Lord this day to be your God and to walk in his ways and to keep his statutes and his commandments and his judgments and to hearken to listen to his voice. Verse 18, and the Lord has avouched you this day to be his peculiar people as he promised you and that you should keep all his commandments and verse 19 and to make you high above all nations which he has made in praise and in name and in honor and that you may be an holy people unto the Lord your God as he has spoken so we see the aim and that is to be a holy people as we listen and as we learn the way uh, of God and commit, commit ourselves to doing his will. So the Lord in reply tells us that we are his very own, a peculiar people, that is a special people, just as he promised that, that we should keep his commandments. So here we are on the day of Pentecost. Now, our day began this, this morning getting ourselves ready and physically, spiritually, for fellowship and worship this afternoon. And we also have a potluck meal that I'm sure we're all looking forward to following services to mark this occasion. In the book of uh, Deuteronomy, chapter 16, verses 10 through 11, we see that the children of Israel 
They were instructed to rejoice in God's feast that began with the feast of unleavened bread. In verse 10, it says, You shall keep the feast uh, weeks, feast of weeks unto the Lord your God with a tribute of a free will offering of your hand, which you shall give unto the Lord your God, according as the Lord your God has blessed you. And you shall re rejoice, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. So sometimes it's hard to rejoice, especially when you have maybe some pain in your body or when you have some sorts of concern about family or friends or even your own health. But you shall rejoice, you and your son and your daughter and your manservant and your maidservant and the Levite that is within your gates and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow that are among you in the place which the Lord uh, your God has chosen. So we are to rejoice. And like I said, it can be hard to rejoice uh, at times. But the feast we see was made for everyone as a time to rejoice. And remember the promises of the eternal, to remember those things that he has promised that will give us joy in this world that is getting ever so dark. Now, as we read in uh, Exodus 12, going to Exodus 12, verse 16, in regard to the day of unleavened bread now, it says in the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and in the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation to you. No manner of work shall be done in them, save that which every man must eat, that only may be done of you. So we see that labor is forbidden on the Holy Sabbath day, except work that enhances the enjoyment of this festival that uh, we celebrate. Back in Leviticus, again, uh, chapter 23, verses 15 through 21, again, we have these instructions, count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, Seventh Sabbath shall be complete. With all those S's in there, it's kind of a tongue twister to me. But even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall you number fifty days, and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. And ye shall bring out of your habitations two wave loaves of two-tenths deals. They shall be of fine flour. They shall be bacon with leaven. They are the fruits, first fruits unto the Lord. So what are these two wave loaves? What do they represent? As it says, they are the first fruits unto the Lord. Now, following in verse 18 on down through 20, we see some elaborate offerings that was brought on this that they were to uh, bring. You shall offer with the bread seven lambs without blemish of the first year, and one young bullock, and two rams. They shall be for a burnt offering. And their drink offerings, even an, even an offering made by fire of sweet savor unto the Lord. Then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats for a sin offering. Imagine all these things that had to be done. And two lambs of the first year for a sacrifice of peace offerings. Different kinds of offerings for different things. 
And verse 20, and the priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits for a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs, and they shall be holy to the Lord. So these two wave loaves in verse 17, we notice that they are baked with, they are baked with leaven. Now regular grain offerings are unleavened because, you know, leaven is symbolic of sin. So these loaves do not symbolize Christ for he was sinless. But these loaves are the produce of the harvest which Christ is the first fruits unto the Lord. So these two loaves are, are seen as symbolic of two groups. I'm going to explain all that. There's so much detail involved in it. I don't want you to fall asleep too early. So those who lived in faith before the time of Christ is one of those groups. Also, those who are the spiritual Israelites who believe in God and are followers of Jesus Christ or of other tribes or, or nations and, and tongues and those that are going to come out of great tribulation. Now, on to uh, the book of Acts, chapter 1, first of all. Now, we remember Jesus told his disciples to tarry in Jerusalem, to hang around Jerusalem until they be imbued with power from on high. So Pentecost, or Feast of First Fruits, pictures uh, God's church as the first fruits of God's spiritual harvest. And the inception of the church, along with the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So on this day, we, as we have read, that there were 3,000 converts that were added to the church because of the message that they heard that day. So that day of Pentecost had a life-changing message for those that heeded the words of the apostles. So we know that the Holy Spirit came with power fire with wind now in verse 8 of chapter 1 of Acts he told them this he said you will be my witnesses so this word witness is used many times I think 30 times in the book of Acts and there in Acts we find Peter who was witnessing primarily to the Jews there in the city of Jerusalem their preaching was confined at that time to Jerusalem until persecution made them go into different places. Now, in the Old Testament, we know that God dealt with the children of Israel, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, the disciples bore witness to Christ, and it empowered them. And the church, that is the called out ones, became an instrument in the spread of the gospel of salvation. Recall in the song that we heard earlier, uh, I think it said that go tell the world. And so these are uh, these witnesses are the, are those that God is going to use and has used to spread the gospel of salvation. And we also read that this, the church became so unselfish that they sold what they had to give to the apostles with this uh, their voluntary offerings. So the Spirit was given to all who believed, and we see that the Galatians also, they became recipients of the promise from on high. In Galatians 3, verse 26 through 28, 
as, as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, said Paul, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So we are of Abraham's seed, either physically or in faith, but also heirs according to the promise that was made to ancient Israel and that Jesus Christ gave to his apostles and to all those that would heed his word. Now remember Jesus said for the disciples to wait in Jerusalem till you be imbued with power from on high. And even today, to this day, Christians uh, do this. And we find ourselves waiting at times. So instead of them uh, scattering to places outside the city, Jesus said to stay where they are in Jerusalem and wait. In Luke 24, you remember there were two disciples who were on the road to Emmaus when they met Jesus and they rushed back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples and they found them all uh, gathered together in a room and told them that they had seen Jesus. And they were telling them about this. And then Jesus suddenly appeared among them. In Luke 24, beginning verse 46, Jesus said unto them, It is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And verse 47, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning, where? At Jerusalem. And you're witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be imbued with power from on high. So now we skip forward to that day. It was the 50th day, and the disciples were there at, at uh, around at 9 in the morning. In Acts 2, 1, we'll begin verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them, cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. So these separate tongues of fire came down on, on each of them. And verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy uh, Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now this Greek word for tongues is glossa, and it means an intelligible language. It is a living language. It was, wasn't uh, gibberish or ecstatic 
utterances as, as some believe. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. So these devout men from every nation heard the disciples speak in their own dialecto, as it says, which means language. And they were confounded. They didn't know what to think. And they were all amazed, and they marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all of these who speak Galileans? You know, even as we sometimes are amazed at what we read here, that we marvel in reading about this miracle that happened on that day of Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. But how hear we every man in our own tongue, they, they thought, wherein we were born, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, dwellers in Mesopotamia, and in Judea and Cappadocia, in Pontus, in Asia, and so on and so forth, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And so they were all amazed and were in doubt. That is, they were perplexed that, uh, that they were trying just to figure out, figure it all out. We do hear them speak in our tongues and saying one to another, what does this mean? But others in verse 13 said, these men are full of new wine. They've been drinking new wine. They're, they're intoxicated. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea, and all you that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. Listen to uh, the message. Listen to these words he's saying. These are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day, which was around nine in the morning. So it was far too early for them, for these revelers, these celebrants, to be intoxicated. And he said they are not he said, they are not drunk, as you suppose. But verse 16, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, who said, in back in Joel, we can go to Joel 2, 28, 29, but here is what Peter is saying, that it shall come to pass, this is what Joel said, in the last days, that says God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. You may remember the past two sermons, I've gone over some of these things. In verse 18, and on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So what is meant by these last days? So P Peter, he continues to quote uh, these prophetic words in Joel, saying, verse 19, and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And what I'm reminded of is the site of an, an, an erupting volcano, you know, where you have the, the lava, red hot lava spilling down the side like, like blood. And uh, there's that uh, fire and there's that uh, vapor and smoke. But we also see that the sun shall be turned into darkness 
and the moon into blood before the great and notable day of the Lord come. We know that uh, the atmosphere, if there are clouds that are thick enough or if they're like coming from smoke, like years ago there was smoke coming from the fires, I think, in, in, in down in Mexico, and it made the, um, the uh, moon and the sun look different colors. So this, what these two scriptures describe are very wondrous events coming that are going to come in the last days before the great and notable day of the Lord comes. So we know that it's a day of wrath that is to come. So we might ask ourselves, are these days upon us right now? It might depend on where you are in the... This, on this earth of ours. Have we seen wonders such as these in, in the sky above or in the earth? So we can only imagine <coughs> these things are to come. Zephaniah seems to support this prophetic view of Joel. Zephaniah 1, verse 14, the great day of the Lord is near. We've heard that so many times before. The great day of the Lord is near. And I know one thing. As the older I get, the closer I get to that, to that great day. It is near and hastens greatly, even the voice of the day of the Lord. And the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness darkness just like Joel had uh, said so a day of the trumpet an alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers when you think about the fenced cities we we see places where there are uh, they are surrounded by defenses and against the high towers where uh, like skyscrapers or places for lookout but how one may wonder how does this really tie into the message of Peter on Pentecost? Now, <coughs> there's a lot that one may think about as to the present and the future of what Pentecost tells us. In back to uh, Acts 2, verse 21, it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So in those last days, that time is coming. When even now, when there are those who will ask, what shall we do to be saved? And but whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So this is the promise <coughs> from on high, the promise of salvation for anyone who calls on the name of the Lord and heeds this message of repentance. Because... For those in the last days, when those signs and wonders take place, the sun is blacked out and the sun looks uh, blood red and there are days of clouds and gloominess, it's going to appear that all hope is, is lost. Now we read where Peter said concerning Christ's crucifixion that it was not happenstance but according to a divine plan verse 22 he said you men of Israel <coughs> hear these words Jesus of Nazareth a man approved of God among 
among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves know. Him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, you know, not by accident, not by happenstance, but by the foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. God has raised him up, having loosed the pains of death, because it is not possible that he should be holden of it. We also read where Peter quoted David, who spoke concerning Jesus, that uh, I'm not going to read all of this, but verse drop down to verse 28. <coughs> David saying, You have made known to me the ways of life. You shall make me full of joy with your countenance. Men and brethren, said Peter, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us. His tomb, or his burial place, is with us unto this day. <coughs> Drop down to uh, verse 38, the gist, uh, verse 37, the gist of all this. Now, when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. They were stunned, that is. And, and they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said unto them, repent. That is, have a change of heart to reverse direction in, in, in your life. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So even now, as, as Christians, there are times when we slip up. There are times when we falter. But we have the Lord God as our, uh, Jesus Christ as our advocate, who is there at the right hand of God, who will lead and guide us in the way that we should go. Verse 39, For the promise is unto you, and to your children, and to all those that are far off. This would mean uh, those uh, Gentiles also. You know, the people of other nations, our countries and tongues, even as many as the Lord our God shall call, just like uh, he's called us today to be here on the day of Pentecost. Matthew 4, verse 17, <coughs> we know that after 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus overcame the temptations of Satan, the devil, and he left Nazareth, and he uh, dwelt in uh, Capernaum. And from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is close at hand. And in Luke 13, 3, Jesus warned, Unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So we have to, at, at times, change the direction in which we're going. And the Spirit will move you in that direction, but it's not going to twist your arm to make you go that direction. It's, it's a choice that we have to make. And, he's, and <coughs> Peter said in Acts 3.19 that repent you therefore, be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, and the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. So we have all heard the message and the calling that uh, God has given, but are we still striving to enter in at that straight gate and as Jesus said, for many, I say unto you, many will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Will we be one of them? 
if we do those things that are pleasing in the sight of God, then we're on the path to salvation. But <coughs> Jesus also said, not everyone that says to unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Remember, we read earlier in Deuteronomy, chapter 26, 16 through 17, that you have avouched the Lord, declared this day the Lord to be your God, to walk in his ways and hearken unto his voice. So as the Lord looks down upon each and every one of us, we have declared before him that he is to be our God, that we are to walk in his ways, and that we are to hearken unto his voice. And the Lord has avouched unto to you this day to be his peculiar people, as he promised that you should keep all his commandments and be a holy people unto the Lord. In Acts chapter 2, down in verse 40, and, and this is Luke, he's recording all these things that transpired that day. He's writing on what Peter said about what Peter was saying, and he said, and with many other words did he, that is Peter, testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. So we must be careful to not neglect salvation and our calling. We may feel safe as members of the church, but remember the letter that was written in Revelation to those uh, uh, churches, that they have to be careful, that they have to look at where they stand so that they, can, uh, that, so that they won't fall uh, into these pitfalls that this untoward generation puts before us all kinds of philosophical things that are, aren't godlike. So in those messages to the seven churches, it tells us that we need to be careful, to be on our guard, and careful against what this untoward generation may present us. Verse 41, then they gladly received his word and were baptized and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 people. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. So they were listening to teachings. They were having fellowship. They were eating and they were praying together. So we know that the Sabbath days and the holy days, they all provide us this opportunity and we remember the words at Pentecost, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we're getting closer every day as we age, it is. <coughs> and remember the first love that we had when we came to believe in Christ Jesus, the love for his uh, part in our life, his sacrifice, the forgiveness and the promise of everlasting life. Don't let those thoughts wane. Don't neglect so great a salvation by taking the gift of God and, uh, and taking it all for granted. Heed the warning Christ gave the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2.5 who left their first love. Verse 5, remember therefore from whence you are fallen and repent. So God is gracious. He's merciful. 
He's a forgiving God. Do the first works, or else I will come unto you quickly and will remove your candlestick out of his place unless you repent. So Christians still need to do self-examination. That's, you know, that's what we learned at Passover. And that we need to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit that is in us to lead and guide us. But we can lose it or it can be taken away. <coughs> in conclusion, in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, quench not the spirit of God. Don't hinder it. To know to do good and to do it not is sin. Second, stir up the gift that is in you. Don't, don't let the gift that is in you, whether you're good at something, maybe in faith or in love, don't let that gift settle down to the bottom to where you don't use it anymore. Stir it up. Third, grieve not the spirit from Ephesians 4.30 because it says you are sealed unto the day of redemption. So let all bitterness, wrath, anger be put away and to replace it all with kindness and, and love and forgiveness. Fourth, but walk in the spirit as Galatians 5.19 and, and not fulfill those carnal nature uh, lusts that we sometimes have, but to walk in newness of life, live in the spirit, not according to the prince of the power of the air that works in the children of disobedience. So we obey God. So we know that Christ is the first fruits who rose from the dead and that we are his first fruits. 1 Corinthians chapter 20, uh, chapter 15, verse 20. But now is Christ risen from the dead. He's the hope of life after death that we have and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. You heard that being talked about earlier. For as in Adam... And we are all like Adam, all die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So it is he we look forward to being like. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Finally, Romans chapter 8, verse 11. If the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. So the day of Pentecost has a lot of meaning, a lot of detail, a lot of things that we can think about as to why we are here. So we know why we are here, because we are in obedience to the Lord our God. You may wake up now.